Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to Stories of the Magic. I'm Bill Rogers. And I'm Camille Dixon. Welcome. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to episode 108 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. If you're new to Stories of the Magic, we are a positive and story-filled Disney podcast offering stories from cast members, Imagineers, artists, actors, and more, including guests, promoting a mutual love of Disney, celebrating and preserving the Disney magic and legacy, and inspiring people to live their dreams just as Walt Disney did. If that appeals to you or piques your curiosity, you're definitely in the right place, and I am glad you're here. In this episode, we get to return to a previous guest, Bill Farmer. I've had more time with him on this one than I did for episode 44 a little over two years ago. Now celebrating 29 years as the official voice of Goofy, along with many other things, Bill and I had a lot to talk about. So much that we actually get a two-parter out of this one. Now in this episode, Bill talks about a couple of his early recording sessions as Goofy. The first was for DTV. The first celebrity he worked with, Gary Owens. Doing several of the Warner Brothers characters. Not getting a call back for a character and then hearing someone else do it. Some favorite Warner Brothers lines he's delivered. Recording cartoons as ensembles versus individually. The best training he ever had. How he keeps kids from getting confused about him being the voice of Goofy. The album Mickey Unwrapped. How many of you remember that one? The difference between singing and speaking as a character singing in a Goofy movie, and then more about the movie. When and how his son figured out he has kind of a weird job. The 2015 D23 Expo's a Goofy movie panel. The longevity of animated characters. The fact that he's a sci-fi fan. And finishing out this part with a little more about the Expo panel. Now a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, and then it's time to turn the page and begin this story. My name is Al. And I'm Joyce. And we're, we're huge, huge Disneyland, Disneyland fans. fans. In fact, we love the Disneyland Resort so much, we host a podcast dedicated to the happiest place on Earth to share that passion with others. That's right. On our show, Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland Podcast, we share current resort news, some tips and tricks we've learned over the years to help make your Disneyland Resort vacation the most magical experience ever. We uncover little-known and often-overlooked gems we like to call hidden treasures and even review the attractions and places to eat that make the Disneyland Resort so much fun. And if that wasn't enough, we even share some video episodes to help keep you in that Disney magic state of mind. If you're a longtime fan of the Disneyland Resort or you've just recently discovered the magic, this podcast is for you. You can find Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland Podcast at www. Talescast.com and in iTunes. And remember, make, make it, it a, a Mickey, Mickey day. day. And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. 
Once again, we have a returning guest, one I'm very excited to talk to again. Bill Farmer is a comedian, voice actor, an impressionist, a Disney legend, and the official voice of my favorite member of the Fab Five, Goofy, for 29 years now, among other characters. He also owns and operates Toonhouse Inc., where he produces voiceover demos and teaches aspiring voiceover artists. Last time we talked about how he got that role, what he loves most about what he does, some great stories, and some great advice. We didn't get to talk about a Goofy movie, a movie that I love, which is even more special to me now that I have a child myself. He also had one of my favorite answers to my usual question of what he would want to do if he could have any job working for Disney, along with being Goofy, of course. Fifty-some interviews now, his answer is still one of my favorites. (laughs) This time, we're going to talk much more about Goofy, as well as more about voice acting and beyond. So, Bill, welcome back to Stories of the Magic. Well, Randy, it's it's an honor to be back, and I'm so uh, happy to be here. Thank you. Like I said, last time we skipped over a lot of what you do with or as Goofy to focus kind of on the other work you do. So I'd like to start this time by going back to Mr. Goof. Sure. Uh, Do you remember any of your early recording sessions as Goofy? Absolutely. Um, The first ones generally kind of, they're very important and kind of uh, filled with terror. So you do have a tendency (laughs) to remember those. (laughs) Well, that's how I knew it was my anniversary, January 26th. And uh, in 1987, it was my first job as Goofy, and it was on a television show. In the old days, they had like MTV, and they do these mix, you know, mashups, compilation things. And they had DTV, Disney TV, where they would take compilations of the old cartoons and stuff, and then put them with contemporary songs, and uh, kind of have a music program, if you will. Yeah, I remember those. There was one called Disney's Doggone Valentine. And uh, I had just come out to California a few months before that, actually in August of 1986, to see what I could do in Hollywood. And as luck would have it, they called a few months later in around December of, uh, of 86 and say, do you do any of the Disney characters? Got that from my agent. And, oh, gosh, I hadn't really thought about it that much. Uh, Goofy wasn't, you know, a staple of one of the uh, voices that I did in my stand-up routine, which I was doing at the time. Uh, but I'd played around with it, and he was my favorite Disney character. So I said, yeah, I can kind of do a Mickey, I, you know, if you can do that falsetto. Gosh, oh boy, you're kind of in the ballpark. Uh, so I could kind of do that. <laughs> Donald, I can't do, I can't articulate. I can make the, that's all I can do. But uh, Goofy, gosh, I was kind of right there in the pocket. (laughs) And that came pretty easy to me. They gave me a cassette over the weekend of Pinto Colvig and some of the great lines he had in the early cartoons in the 1930s. I practiced those. I went to my agent, laid them down. And about a month later in January, they called and said, hey, they'd like to use you as Goofy. I didn't know if it was one time, two times, never imagined that it would have been the you know, 3,000 plus times I've done for Disney over the last 29 years. Uh, but um, I didn't know what I was getting into, really. But uh, I went into this recording studio, and it was looping a piece of footage. Now, looping is where you replace dialogue from an old cartoon. They didn't draw new stuff. And it was from one of those old cartoons where he's driving a car like Mr. Wheeler. And, you know, it's uh, Autopia and one of those cartoons. And I had to say the line, let me see, uh, something like, gosh, I put my foot on the accelerator and I'm out of here quick. 
and I did that two picture, which I had never done before. I was terrified. Wow. But we got through that, and I was also terrified and so green. I met Tony and Selmo at the same session, who is the voice of Donald Duck, and he is an animator. And he was sitting there drawing Donald, this beautiful render, just, you know, doodling. And I thought to myself, looking at that, I said, well, we don't have to draw these guys, do we? I thought, <laughs> I, you know, I thought some horrible mistake and they were looking for animators. But no, just I just had to talk like Goofy. And I'm still talking like him after 29 years. Wow. So that was your very first time in the studio doing something as Goofy. And I, it's, I can see why with the terror would make it still stand out 29 years later. Oh, I remember it like yesterday. <laughs> Uh, matter of fact, the second job I did, which was another DTV, is about a month later they were doing a Halloween one. It's called DTV's Monster Hits. And I need to find this. And I know the show's on YouTube, and I need to look to see if I did Pluto in the monster one. I know I did it in the monster one, but I don't think I did it in the first one. So that would have been my first official time of doing Pluto. And that was interesting because I got to do... Uh, work with my first celebrity, who was Gary Owens. If you remember Gary Owens from Laughing, with that wonderful voice, and uh, I, you know, I met him, and it was so cool. And we were going to share a microphone, and he was so nice, and, and it put me at ease, you know, because I was I, oh, this guy's. I've seen him on TV and on Laughing and everything, and he was well, Bill. We're going to have a lot of fun now, and uh, we got to share a microphone, and we did that old Peacock opening on NBC where the show was airing, and. Um, he would say the line, he said, the following program is brought to you in living color. And I would say, and stereo on NBC. <laughs> and then I had a few lines throughout the program here and there. Um, but that was the first time I got to work with a celebrity. And again, it just stuck in my mind all these many years because it was at once exhilarating and terrifying. Right. Now, you knew this was going to be that one job, and then a month later you got the, the call for the second one. No real expectation after the first one to know, hey, they might call me back. I'd hoped, but you never know. Uh, you kind of have to get ready in case they don't, and oh, it was only for a couple of times, or they found someone else or whatever. I didn't have any idea that it would uh, turn out to be the kind of career that it has been. Yeah. Have you had anything like that where you've done a character once or twice and then they don't call you oh, back, yeah. whatever company it might be, and someone else ends up doing it? Yeah. Oh, uh, the Warner Brothers characters have had a lot of voice actors, you know, doing Bugs and Daffy and Foghorn and Sylvester and all of that. And I've done all of those characters at one time or another, uh, but on very few individual things. Different, um, different directors may want to use a different actor. And they aren't set in stone, really, over at Warner Brothers like they are at Disney. For example, the movie Space Jam with Michael Jordan. I did Foghorn and Sylvester and uh, Yosemite Sam and that um, on some other. T and oh, on video games, I've d uh, done a few more Foghorns and uh, um, let's see. And a Robot Chicken, I've actually done Bugs and Daffy on a few episodes. So I've even got to do, <laughs> <laughs> do the duck and the, the uh, rabbit. <laughs> does it ever, or did it, I don't know if it still does, but did it ever kind of hurt a bit when you didn't get a call back for a character oh, yeah. after you've done them once or twice and then someone else did it? Yeah, but you got to realize that this is kind of like uh, getting 
anywhere in Hollywood is kind of like coming out of high school and playing in the NBA. You're up against the, the best guys in the world that do this. And there's some extremely talented people that are doing voices. And there's like, you know, 100,000, 150,000 Screen Actors Guild members in Los Angeles. And on any given week, there's about 10,000 acting jobs. And that's voice acting and regular acting jobs. So there's not a lot of work for a, the number of actors that are up for it. Uh, so, uh, and the best of times, you know, if you get one, you're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I can't imagine you'd have to love it, the job to go into a field like that with those kind of odds. Yeah, it's it. I always tell uh, my students, uh, I say, uh, you know, first of all, get rich parents. That's always <laughs> to help you. You've got to have some way to support yourself when you get going in this career while the uh, the lean times happen. Right. Yeah, I just got to detour to Warner Brothers for a minute because you mentioned all those different characters that you've done. Uh, do you have any favorite lines from any of them? Uh, let's see. <laughs> from Robot Chicken, can I say him without getting bleeped? Uh, you know, uh, let's see what it, I say. I think is uh, Daffy, I said, uh, and it was a, a scene from uh, Bugs and Daffy uh, was doing a rap like an eight mile, Eminem eight mile with Elmer Fudd. And so Jaffe breaks in and says, we're no longer Looney Tunes, we're Lizoni Tizoons. Hoo-hoo! You know, <laughs> that was a good one. Oh, brother, you know, ain't I a stinker? So you get to do some classic Mel Blanc stuff. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, when you did those early uh goofy jobs back to there, uh, and you had mentioned seeing Tony Anselmo yeah. there and him drawing and everything – were any of those really early ones where you sat down as a group with, at the time, I guess it would have been Wayne Allwine and Rusey Taylor and Tony Anselmo to do those recordings? Oh, all the time. In the early days, we almost always worked ensemble. In other words, we'd be in the studio at the same time. And those are the old reel-to-reel tape days where you'd have a 24-track recorder and you would record them like a radio play where Wayne would do uh, a Mickey line. I would respond as goofy. Now with nonlinear editing and it's so easy to you know, cut and paste audio files, it's easier for me to go in and let's say I'm doing a, a line. I'm, I'm saying, you know, Wars, hey, Mickey, how you doing? Well, I can do that five or six different ways um, and then take directions from the director. I might say, well, hey, Mickey, how you doing? Gorge, how are you doing, Mickey? <laughs> you know, and, and do whatever I do. And then they'll say, oh, I love the third one. Uh, and But Mickey is uh, 50 feet away. Okay. Gorge, how are you doing, Mickey? <laughs> then I would adjust that in my mind and in my performance to match that. Then they take... Um, let's say they do that with Mickey five times. The best take of his is take three. The best take of mine is take two. They take my take two, his take three, put them together, and they're talking to each other. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I can see how that would be a lot easier. But is it as much fun no. as it used to be? No, it's it's a lot more fun to be uh, in the room with your friends. Um, and, uh, you know, it... Uh, it can be a longer session because we just start giggling and laughing and falling apart. And so actually I think for the engineers and for the directors and everything, it may be easier to do them one at a time, but for the actors, no, there's nothing like uh, hanging out with your friends and just responding live. 
because you get the sense of how they're saying a line and you respond like you naturally would. If the scene is uh, an active scene, then you might put on a little bit more tension. Or if it's uh, they're laying on the beach, then it's laid back a little bit more. And you get that from their performances. They bring you up to a little higher level, too. And uh, it's, it's much more fun that way. Sure. Because you've been doing this so long, and I know most of the time it's probably done individually with you know, all the different studios for all the different programs and everything. But I'm sure there's occasionally ones that are done lot, you know, with everybody together. Can you tell when you're watching something, you know, that sounds like everybody was in the same room. It depends on the show. If they're well edited, you cannot tell, but they have, there's a little bit more spontaneity feel like the Simpsons are done in that way. They are all in the room at the same time. And I think I can tell on that. But I'm not always correct. You know, it, it's difficult, but it can be done depending on the show. I did a show, um, oh, just a couple of years ago, actually, uh, uh, Garfield, and with Frank Welker. And as a guest star that week uh, was the late Joe Alasky, who just died a few days ago, actually. Um, and he was one of the uh, incidental characters. And we got to be in the studio at the same time. And that was great fun. So there are some shows that still do it that way. And I really appreciate when I get a chance to do that. Sure. I imagine it gives you a chance not only to just enjoy being with the other people, but you probably improvise a little bit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you improvise. Even when you're alone, you might come up with a good line. And they will play you back sometimes the other actor's line so you get a sense of how to respond. And you you ad-lib a little bit and you have a little bit of fun with that. But when you're live and in the studio, it it, uh, kind of frees up the creative juices and lets you uh, improvise a little bit more. Yeah, I can see how definitely how that would be a lot more fun, especially for somebody like you who's come from a stand-up comedy background. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, stand-up was probably the best training I ever had. it's it's very brutally honest. <laughs> There's no such thing as pity laughter. If you're funny, they'll laugh. If you aren't, you suffer a long, silent death up there. <laughs> right. Uh, since I talked to you last, I actually interviewed uh, Bill Rogers and Camille Dixon. Yeah. And apparently another really great training ground is having a two-year-old grandchild. Oh, I can imagine. I don't have any grandchildren, but having kids really helps. Yeah, I remember Camille told me that you know, they had, I think it was two or two and a half year old granddaughter at the time, and she would say things to them like, "Sing the wheels on the bus, make it funny," <laughs> and they would think, "I don't know what she's going to find funny," so they would try something, and she go, "Yeah, that's not funny." You know, it's really interesting when I, of course, I get introduced all the time to people's grandchildren, and this is Bill Farmer. He's goofy. And they'll look at me like, what now? And if I do the voice, they look at me like, who's this old weird guy that's talking like Goofy? But if I say, I can talk like Goofy, would you like me to talk like Goofy? Then they'll nod their head and I'll do that. And then they crack up. I don't know what it is about. It's confusing for them to think, well, that's not Goofy. It doesn't look like Goofy. But if I say I can talk like Goofy, it preserves the magic for them. And they just go nuts. And they'll say, do it again. You know, (laughs) talk like Mickey this time. (laughs) They love it. Yeah. 
Now, you know, one of the most unexpected things that I've ever heard Goofy and you know, some of the other prominent Disney characters do, at least unexpected to me, was the album Mickey Unwrapped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a kind of a weird one. Yeah, I think that was the second or third CD that I ever bought. Up until then, I'd had tapes, but I got that one on CD. Uh, what Can you talk about that experience? Sure. Like, what was that like? Well, when we first heard we were going to do this album, a rap album, I said, you know, I said, oh, gosh, I have enough trouble singing as a character anyway. Uh, what's it going to be like doing rap? And we had some big stars. We had Run DMC. I did a, a song with uh, Whoopi Goldberg as Pluto, Barking Along. Uh-huh. Um, and, but I remember run DMC being, they, they were great. And, you know, I, I felt so totally uncool, <laughs> but goofy supposed to be. So I was right in my element. It was, um, I didn't get to record too much with them cause it was a long, uh, uh, process. But, um, uh, when I did, uh, they were, they were extremely nice and doing a, a song, can be, you know, kind of a laborious thing. It's not just go in, you do it once or twice, and, and you're out of there. They wanted this to be really good, and these guys were real professionals, and, uh, you know, we had to work pretty hard to uh, keep it up. And I think in those days, I don't even know if we had auto-tune, so I had to actually sing it on key. Today they can fix it if I if they need to. <laughs> <laughs> Is this something that comes up very often when people meet you? Very often do you get, oh, I love Mickey Unwrapped. That's that's rare. That, <laughs> people know about that album. And so, you know, people now will be scrambling to Amazon seeing, can I get Mickey unwrapped? I don't know. But it's actually a really good album, and it came out really nice. And they were able to keep the Disney sensibility while, you know, mixing it with hip-hop. And that, that's a hard thing to do. <laughs> yeah. And we haven't done any more, uh, you know, hip-hop albums since then. Yeah, I noticed that. Here, I've been waiting for Mickey Unwrapped 2 for a couple decades. Yeah, it was. Yeah, we, that's still in the works, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> you mentioned that you have hard enough trouble or hard enough time singing as the character. Is it a lot different singing versus speaking when you're voicing a character? Well, not really. I mean, you know, uh, of course, Goofy's a fairly musical voice anyway. Uh, and he's got a lot of scoops, which can be a. A uh, help and a hindrance when you're singing, because there are different types of voices. Like Mickey is what I call kind of a trick voice. If you can do the falsetto, gosh, you're kind of in the ballpark anyway. And whatever you do, if you sing, you know, uh, twinkle, twinkle, little star, you know, you're going to be kind of, it sounds like Mickey. If, but Goofy is what I call a cadence character. Gorge, there's lots of scoops and valleys. And it's the way you say the words that really define a lot of his personality. So if he's singing twinkle, twinkle, little store, I, the more I put in those scoops, like twinkle, twinkle, little store, I can put more of the character in it. So I have to study it a little bit more. And sometimes it screws up the tempo and the melody a little <laughs> bit, but that's what Goofy would do. And so you kind of have to uh, do a little balancing act between, you know, uh, accuracy with the song and keeping Goofy real, you know, because he you wouldn't imagine him being a great, great singer. Yeah. In fact, when he sings in a Goofy movie, uh -huh. it, it almost is surprising how well that he sings. Yeah. Uh, when we did those songs, which was an interesting thing on a Goofy movie, that was I did sing that with Aaron Lore, who was the singing voice of Max. 
who was uh, Jason Marsden. And he was very upset he didn't get to sing in the movie. But uh, they didn't know he sang. And they brought in this professional singer, Aaron Laura, who was an, a great kid. And we sang the, the songs. That was day number one. We actually did the songs first, which was kind of unusual. A lot of times you'll wait till the end of the day to do the songs but uh, until you're warmed up. But no, first day, day one were the songs. Um, and yeah, it wasn't a hard song because it was written for my key in singing, you know. And so it was written for me to sing. And that helped me out since it was right in my you know, range. And I didn't have to stretch too high or too low to hit all those notes. And they're such great songs anyway that uh, they were just catchy enough that it's like a Beatles song. You, you hear it once and you can sing it, that they were very easy to get into. And uh, that whole movie was such a, you know, a, a great experience, too, because uh, uh, it, it gave a lot of challenges and uh, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of special times. That really is a special, special project. Yeah, um, I actually sing those songs to my daughter. Who do you? She's 10 months old. I carry her around and sing on the open road and after today and things like that. Um, and I actually want to talk a little bit more about sure. the movie. But first, I'm just curious, what is the most comfortable key for Goofy? I'm not musical. My son is a drummer, my professional drummer and audio engineer. My wife has a degree in jazz piano, and yet I'm the one with the gold record on the wall. <laughs> I don't know. I think someone said, is it D or C? I don't know. I just kind of go by ear. Okay. But, I, but whatever the key that those songs are in is probably... Yeah, pretty close, key. yeah. And we've done like 20-some albums over the years. We've done a lot of different albums. We did, there was a period where we seemed to be doing it every few months uh, where it was uh, food songs or, you know, uh, camping songs or circus songs or Christmas songs or Halloween songs. Or, and we've done a lot of albums over the years. And those are always a lot of fun, too, because uh, it is kind of a unique challenge to sing. And they're not always done in the right key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I imagine most of the time it's just whatever the key is yeah. that they figure it's supposed to be in. Exactly. And there you go. Hmm. Okay. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about a Goofy movie. Like I mentioned in the intro, uh, it's one of my favorites. And now that I have a child of my own, I actually haven't gone back and rewatched it. But I'm just imagining that scene in the river coming up on the waterfall and everything. Uh, that might be a very interesting scene for me to watch now that I have a child. Well, you know, my son was born in uh, 89, so he was about five when it came out. Uh, we got to see an advanced screening in the animation building over on the Disney lot, and my son was with me. And when we came out, he was crying a little bit. I said, what's the matter, buddy? Didn't you like the movie? And I said, well... When Goofy went over the waterfall, I thought that was you. So he, he, I think he was very, you know, uh, he was confused. He didn't know if he was Max's brother, my son, Goofy's son. Is he Max? Is he Austin? You know, he totally <laughs> screwed up for a couple of years. But uh, and it was, a, you know, since it was a father-son bonding picture and buddy picture, it was that with me and my son as well. Because uh, he was just getting to an, uh, the age where he kind of figured out that what daddy has kind of a weird job and not everybody does that. 
And that came to light when we were in Florida and his granddad came to see us. And he was saying, well, Austin, uh, I've got to go off to work, so I'll see you later. And my son said, well, what voice do you do? And I'm saying, ah, Hollywood kid, Hollywood kid. Yeah. <laughs> so the royalties or the, the payments from that movie paid for his therapy for those couple of years to get over okay, that. That's good. After 20 years. <laughs> and it's amazing that that movie especially – uh, of all the projects I've done has has remained as popular as it is and has kind of gotten a little cult status uh, that people still, you know, have, you know, uh, write me all the time about that, that that voice, that movie changed their lives, that it uh, some people have said that oh, I couldn't talk to my dad. But when we got together and we saw that movie, it was kind of a bonding thing for me and my dad. I've gotten a lot of those. And Last summer at D23, we had a 20-year reunion of uh, a Goofy movie. And it came together, uh, Don Hahn, who was a, a great producer of Lion King and uh, Beauty and the Beast, and is doing now the live-action Beauty and the Beast, um, they're putting together that. And he directed or uh, and produced Maleficent. Great director, producer, funny guy, great friend. He put this together. And, you know, they had in in some of the Disney blogs, they had like the top 10 pod, podcasts and the top 10, uh, you know, uh, panels that you must see. Ours wasn't even on the top 10. They had the Star Wars ones and stuff like that. But when we went on stage, the place was standing room only. People were yelling. We were able to get Tevin Campbell, who did Powerline. And I'd never even met him when we did the original movie. So that was the first time I ever got to meet him. And it was the first time he had live sang eye to eye on stage in front of about 1,200 cheering fans. And we rectified a problem that had been with the movie that Jason Marsden did not get to sing the songs like The Open Road uh, with Goofy. Aaron Lore, uh, this singer, did this. But we rectified that problem, so we live sang The Open Road while it was being shown on a big screen behind us. And we got like about a three-minute standing ovation. It was like being one of the Beatles coming out in that. Uh, it was incredible. And the love that people had for, have for that movie, it just astounds me. And it was just a magical night. And, you know, that that's, uh, kind of gives you a little sense of the, the power that these characters have that they're the only characters or animated characters. Gosh, well, Mickey was the first talking one, and he's still around doing stuff. There's no other characters in the world like that that have been around 80-some years, and they're on TV every day. It's just, it just blows my mind. Yeah, you definitely can't get away with that with live action. No, no. I don't <laughs> look like I did in 1986, but I sound pretty much the same. Right. Yeah. They try to get around it with Doctor Who. Yeah, but... yeah. And then like you 12 of them or something. Right, yeah. They're on number 12 right now, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> I'm impressed you know that. <laughs> oh, I, I'm a, I'm a sci-fi fan. I, I love sci-fi. So I'm sure you've been to see The Force Awakens at least once by yes, now? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. And, uh, yeah, I, I was also, I was going to mention, you know, with a Goofy Movie panel, they had a Star Wars panel, and that had George Lucas, and it had, uh, I think, Harrison Ford, and on the audience enjoyment, you know, they filled out a, we were the only one to get a hundred percent. We beat out the star Wars panel and I'm 
Wow, well, that's fantastic. We got a 100%. I don't know if any of them ever have before that. So I was very proud of the turnout and that the people, uh, you know, how much they love that film. That uh, is very gratifying that people enjoy it. Definitely. Yeah, I tried to get to that panel, and I was one of the ones that couldn't get in. Yeah, it was like it surprised the heck out of us. It's like we look out there, and geez, it's full. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a great one, though. It was. It was pretty memorable. Wow. Um, do you have any other favorite memories, anything that stands out from when you were making a Goofy movie? Oh, gosh. Um, well, you know, they uh, just – they were. Um, it started off as a goof troop movie in the same ways that the DuckTales movie was. And now it's time for listener feedback on Stories of the Magic. Walt Disney World cast member Katie shared this story in a secret group of Disney's Magical Theme Park cast members and guests Facebook group. And I got her permission to share this here on the podcast because it's such a great story. She says... In 2014, I was crowd control for Fantasmic. I was standing at the top row for villains, all the way over by Ursula seating. After we usher everyone in, we stay in our areas to assist guests in whatever way needed, even during the show. While the boys were out doing the pre-show, I noticed a lady, not quite elderly, I'd like to say a young elderly, standing a few steps below me holding her back looking around. I approached her and asked her if she needed help finding something, or if she was just waiting for someone. She told me no, her back was just hurting because she can't sit in bleacher seats. Without hesitation, I asked her if it would be offensive of me to go get her a wheelchair, and then I could let her pick an available spot for handicap viewing. It's a social norm at Disney. It's not a huge deal to get a free wheelchair or to offer somebody the use of one, so I didn't think much of it. She said not at all, so I ran to the bottom of the hill to get a wheelchair, drug it all the way up, found her, and asked her how many would we be accommodating. She just looked at me and quietly said, Just me. So with a smile, I took her over to a spot. She thanked me and asked how to get the chair back to me, and I told her I promised I'd be back for her before the show was over, so she could just go along her way. Well, a fight broke out in my section, and I had to run for management and security. By the time that was sorted, the show was over and I had to walk against a sea of people to find my friend and assist her one last time by taking back the wheelchair for her. When I finally got to her on the other side of the stadium, she broke down crying on my shoulder, thanking me for what I had done. She said she was all alone because her husband had died the prior year. It was her birthday that day. She drove five hours just to see Fantasmic and didn't think she'd make it through the pre-show from her back surgery pains. And most of all, she was happy she made a friend. The lady next to her exchanged mailbox numbers with her so they could write letters to each other. Then she stopped and said, No, I made two friends, and that she was worried I wasn't coming back to find her, and she took my hands into hers. I had no idea a wheelchair was going to affect anybody that much. I know it was so much more than that, but holy cow, it was just a wheelchair. I don't know her name. I know she was out of state, so maybe Georgia? And it was springtime. Early spring, late winter. I just wish I could find somebody who knows her, has heard our story from somewhere, and can get me back to her. It kills me thinking of such a sweet person feeling alone. So that's Katie's story, and if that rings any bells for you, or if you hear someone that tells a story that sounds like that, please let me know so that I can get you uh, in touch with Katie. 
And I know that it would mean a lot to her, and I'm sure it would mean a lot to the woman that she is telling the story about that she had helped. She's the kind of person that really makes Walt Disney World and Disneyland what it is. So, Katie, thank you for being that kind of cast member and for being that kind of person. That brings us to the end of this week's show. A very special thank you to Bill Farmer for being my guest again and to you for listening. Come back next week for the conclusion of this interview, including a different take than usual on my typical question asking his advice for you to follow your dreams. I'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Choose from titles like my book, Faith and the Magic Kingdom. You know, I'm going to have to tell you more about that book in a while. I think we've got some new listeners since I last really described it. So in the next episode in this spot, I think I'm going to take the opportunity to talk a little bit about that book. In the meantime, though, you can pick that one or any of the 180,000 plus audiobooks as your free trial book, and it's yours to keep whether you choose to continue your membership or not. To download your free audiobook today, go to storiesofthemagic.com slash audible. Again, that's storiesofthemagic.com slash audible for your free audiobook. If you're currently doing something because of your love for Disney, you've written a book, created a website, or you're blogging, writing, or performing music, art, whatever it may be, and you want to tell people about it and why it matters to you, I want to hear from you. I also want to talk to and hear from people who've worked for Disney. And if you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience and had an encounter or an interaction with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic, or if you've had any special Disney experience that you want to share, then I would love to hear from you, too. Maybe you have a special favorite memory from something that Goofy has been in, especially from a Goofy movie. But it doesn't have to be that. Maybe your favorite album of all time is Mickey Unwrapped, and you want to talk about that and say thank you for that. But whatever it is, for any of these, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY and tell me about your experience. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes, the Xbox Music Store, Google Play Store, on the website, or you can hear Stories of the Magic while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. If you like this show, please rate and review Stories of the Magic in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. If you hear some of these guests, in this particular case, if you hear Bill Farmer talking, and you think, wow, you know, I really hope that a lot of people get to hear these stories that he's telling, you can help make that happen by leaving a rating and a review, and it only takes a couple of minutes. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. While you're there, check out the show notes for useful links from each episode. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash storiesofthemagic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash storiesofmagic and tweet out that you're listening or pin it on Pinterest. Tell your friends about the show. Just keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic too. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories. And this tale continues next time. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com. 
or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com, for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.